Hello, this is Don Carter. Welcome to our brand new Internet of the Mind podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Internet of the Mind is about the role our subconscious mind plays in constructing the world in ways that best suit our internal functioning and how we can change our internal functioning at the biological level in order to improve our external functioning, bringing more serenity and success into our lives. The Internet of the Mind podcast is a new way for me to deliver information and tools in a way that's easily consumable by our clients and website visitors. We all know how much the smartphone has changed the world. Some of us like to sit at a computer or laptop, while others use only their cell phones these days. And with our busy lives, it's not difficult to see why that is. So this is one reason we're doing the podcasting. We continue to support all the other ways that we deliver our information and tools, including the Internet of the Mind blog, the Serenity Cafe Academy, the Oasis at Serenity Cafe, and our primary website, serenitycreationsonline.com. After 10 years as a therapist, in 2002, I went into private practice. That was 20 years ago. So this is our 20th anniversary on the Internet. I initially put that first website up in order to provide tools and resources for my clients to use in between sessions. So some of you have been with me that entire time. I want to thank you for your support and for your patience during my learning curve. We've come a long way since 2002. We hope these resources have been helpful. To those of you who are new, welcome and feel free to contact us anytime you have comments or questions or feedback. We definitely appreciate all the feedback we can get. Now, one more bit of exciting news that we are happy to be celebrating as well. Ten years ago, I published the first book in my Thawing the Iceberg series. So we're celebrating two milestone anniversaries in the same year. Thaw, Freedom from Frozen Feelings, is now ten years old, and I'm ten years wiser. As part of that celebration, I intend to give Thaw a complete makeover. I will be releasing the second edition sometime this year by the grace of God. I've learned a lot in the past 10 years, and much of it is going to be included in that book, as well as on this Substack and this new podcast. Having said all that, let's get on with today's episode. Pattern matching is a primary cognitive process we use to make sense of the world, to learn from experience, create positive and negative habits, and develop addictions or other chronic conditions. When we are in growth mode, we are information processors, meaning makers. We strive to understand and make meaning of the events and situations that we experience. We proactively think, consider, evaluate, contemplate options, and study. This is how we learn. With repetition, we are embedding new neural networks into the neural matrix of our brain. But when we're triggered into survival mode, we become automated and reactive. And this is as it should be. We have databases of information encoded in neural networks of past experience. The thinking brain is not involved with this because taking the time to evaluate our options can get us injured or killed. For example, when we trip and fall, we instinctively react in some way attempting to catch ourselves or to break our fall. When the car in front of us slams on their brakes, we react by slamming on our own brakes even before we've had a chance to consider what just happened. This is our brain acting to save our lives. 
Now, if, if your child was standing in the middle of the street and a bus was coming, would you take the time to reason with him to get him out of harm's way? No, it's more likely you would grab the child and quickly pull him to safety, as firmly as you could, even without thinking about it. The brain does the same thing. It acts to protect you, the system, without hesitation when the stress response is triggered. Let's take a closer look at two mechanisms that are involved in building these neural networks, making pattern matching possible. So imagine a little over 100,000 years ago, a lone hunter was making his way across the wetlands looking for food. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining, the skies were blue with white puffy clouds, and there was a gentle breeze blowing. The hunter noticed that off to the left, out of the corner of his eye, a bush moved. The next thing he knew, he was being spider-palmed by a saber-toothed tiger. For the sake of our story, somehow he managed to get away. About 30 days later, the same hunter was out in the wetlands again looking for food. But this time, he brought several of his friends with him. They made sure to go 30 miles in the opposite direction of where that tiger was last time. As the hunting party walked along, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining, the skies were blue with white puffy clouds. There was a gentle breeze blowing. Then, off to the left, a bush moved. The hunter's friends turned around just in time to see him kicking up dust about a hundred yards away. He was running hard in the opposite direction. This is because, in just one very intense experience, the original encounter with that tiger had been enough to burn it into his neurology as a warning system to avoid getting eaten. All the elements were there. The blue skies, the white puffy clouds, the gentle breeze, a beautiful day, the wetlands, and then that bush moved. All of these elements joined together in a proper sequence signaled the imminent probability of being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. His don't-get-eaten survival system instantly and subconsciously received that fear signal, also known as trigger, resulting in a powerful need to find safety right now. He didn't even think about it. He just reacted. This is an example of reward-based pattern matching, also known as habit development. The survival-oriented regions of the brain builds network databases to get more of what feels good, and to get away from what feels bad. Every time we have a new significantly intense experience, good or bad, the brain does a database search for similar experiences and stores this new experience in that same category, linking the database or network to similar neural networks. Pattern matching is the basis for all sorts of phobias and panic and other habits such as that saber-toothed tiger example we just talked about. All it takes is one intensely frightening experience with a spider to develop a spider phobia. Then there could be multiple cues that would trigger that network to fire up. Seeing a spider can equal freaking out. Reading the word spider equals freaking out. Hearing the word spider can equal freaking out. Just feeling something on the skin that could be a spider? Well, you get the point. Pattern matching is also responsible for cravings and relapses back into addictions after a period of recovery. For example, hearing a bell could trigger someone addicted to gambling to feel an urge to go to the track and bet on his favorite horse. 
or just reading the word chocolate can trigger an urge to find and eat some chocolate. But without pattern matching, learning would be impossible. The brain sorts significantly intense experiences into categories. Through subconscious processing, it stores these categories on neural networks in the implicit memory. These categories begin with a little data and then they grow into large databases over time. These are networks, embedded in networks, embedded in networks. What we mean by implicit memory networks is that we don't have to remember to do these things or we don't have to even be aware that we're doing these things and it takes no energy on our part to actually do these things. These are subconscious programs that run all on their own. Learning to read is a good example. We started out learning to mouth one syllable. With repetition we learned another one. Then we added two or three syllables to form more complex words. Hopefully when we're able to say our first word everyone around us throws a fit and the intensity of the positive reinforcement combined with the repetition motivates us to learn even more. Eventually we learn the alphabet, then spelling, then reading. Later we learn grammar and syntax. All of these learnings belong to the category of language. Whenever we learn something new about language, the information updates that implicit memory network, that database, making it larger and more sophisticated. This is why the more we learn, the easier it is to learn. It would be pretty discouraging to have to relearn the alphabet every time we want to read a book. Without pattern matching, we would also be doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. As seen with the example of that saber-toothed tiger, we might not even learn to survive. So on the negative side, emotionally traumatic experiences are also intense. Take the example of defending your country in a war. Active combat is very intense. The military knows that, so they do everything they can to prepare their soldiers. They know that intensity burns things into your brain, so they'll have a very intense person called a drill instructor to be your teacher. The neural circuitry for survival in a wartime situation have to become automatic, so they add repetition to intensity to step up the training process. Once boot camp is over, the neural networks for survival are in place and the soldier gets deployed. The battleground is even more intense than basic training, so all of those sights, sounds, smells, tastes, memories, and experiences get burned into the brain as well. The implicit networks created in basic training become even more ingrained through the intensity and repetition of the battlefield. Then, when his or her tour of duty is over, they thank the soldier kindly and send him or her home. I wonder if enough is being done for our soldiers to help them adjust to coming home again. How do you turn all that off? Because we understand a lot more about how the brain and nervous system work, it's difficult but not impossible to turn off an implicit network when it becomes chronic or deeply ingrained, such as the examples we've just mentioned. Likewise, a network for an addiction or networks that were created through growing up in a less than nurturing family can also be turned off and other networks created by something often referred to as a recovery program or therapy. Chronic networks of addiction, PTSD, anxiety, or depression can become so woven into the fabric of our mind 
that they feel necessary. That's when they branch out, grow into, and hijack other networks, such as those that are in charge of survival. The good news is that there are many approaches to counseling and therapy that will help us create neuronal changes in our mind, sometimes very quickly, such as with EMDR, or a spiritual experience through a 12-step recovery program. We're getting better and better at using this incredible ability of the brain to rewire its own circuitry to facilitate positive changes in the lives of people we serve. Many approaches to counseling and therapy produce the occasional revelation or epiphany. These experiences are somewhat intense and can reorganize our networks instantly. These days, along with what we're learning about the brain, come new technologies such as EMDR, eye movement and desensitization reprocessing, hypnotherapy, internal family systems therapy, Ego state therapy, gestalt therapy, and many other very powerful therapies can make changes that are almost instant. Many times, weekly sessions with a therapist who provides the structure and safety necessary to work through your issues is all that's needed to make the changes you want. Since everyone has their own map of the world, there are various approaches to therapy and various therapists that will attract various people. But there's no one way to produce change. Look around and find a therapist with an approach that fits your model of the world. If you have a bad experience, try not to judge the whole concept of counseling on that one or even two such experiences. Keep looking. There's someone out there who can help. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this podcast has been helpful to you. In our next podcast, we're going to delve a little deeper into these issues around pattern matching. Specifically, we'll focus on chronic stress and how the brain and nervous system adapt to whatever experience we expose it to, internally or externally. We will then cover what to do about it and how to recondition the brain and nervous system for a healthy balance. Again, thanks for listening.